We are getting ready to study the uh, epistle of 1 John, John's first letter. Now, the difference between an epistle and a gospel is pretty straight up. The gospel is basically a narrative, a historical narrative, a biographical narrative, if you will. And there's things to learn. Uh, we, we talked a lot about uh, the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did in John's gospel. And we do a lot of lessons from that. Well, when you get, that's, that's John the, the uh, storyteller, if you will. That's the old pastor telling the story of when he walked with Jesus. But these letters, he's in full-on pastoral mode. This is teaching. He's writing a letter, the first John, he's writing a letter to uh, a, a group of churches. It's meant to be read in a lot of churches. There's no specific church address, no specific individual. Interestingly, he writes 1 John to a group of churches, 2 John to a specific church, and 3 John to a specific individual. Kind of cool the way that worked out. Anyway, in his epistle, 1 John, like his gospel, he's at the end of his life. Christianity's been around 60 to 70 years now. Um, it's starting to develop its theologians. Paul has come and gone. Um there are theologians starting to poke their heads up and Christian theology is starting to take form. But because the, the church was moving into the Gentile world, Gentile values are starting to be re reflected in the church. Just like when the church was primarily Jewish, it had a very Jewish flavor, I would imagine. I mean, they still went to the synagogue. They probably use a lot of the same songs. They follow a lot of the same festivals and and uh, holidays, Jewish holidays and high holy days. Um, but when the church started moving out into the Gentile world, it's the look and feel started changing. I can only I can only imagine how different it must have felt seventy years later from when it was when it first started. I sometimes wonder if that was hard for folks to deal with who had been around a long time. But I guess that's like that with every generation, isn't it? Every new generation brings something new to the table and the, us older folks go, what? Anyway, I digress. One of the things that was starting to poke its head up was something that became known as Gnostic theology or Gnostics, a group of people called Gnostics. We get the word knowledge from that word. It's a Greek word. And just in short... People who are Gnostics tend to place a great deal, maybe an overabundance of importance on knowing specific knowledge, secret knowledge. Knowledge that's not available to everybody else. Knowledge that nobody else knows, and this secret knowledge will get you close to God. That's a basic tenet of Gnosticism. Um... Interestingly enough, while I was researching that this weekend, because I'm fascinated by it, I came across a religious leader from a denomination, and I'm not going to reveal his name right now because I'm still looking into it. He, he, his shtick was, there are 10 verses that the entire Christian church is ignoring. 10 verses in the Bible, 10 special verses in the Bible that the Christian church is ignoring. 
And because of that, people are being deceived. And he was, he spent 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes talking about how this special knowledge was going to cure the ills of the church. And right away, my antenna goes up. Whenever somebody says something like that, there's something in the Bible that nobody's ever seen, that nobody's paying attention to. My, my antenna go up and I go, what? Hmm, I don't know. And when he finally got around to introducing the verses, guess what? No pastor I know ignores those verses. I haven't ignored those verses. But he is he is uh, applying some special meaning to these verses that basically excludes all of us who don't belong to his denomination. My radar goes up when I hear stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting that I ran across that. But now, briefly, I'd like to share something from from a very unexpected source that is truth. And that's from Pope Francis. And it was, I found it in an article by a professor from Harvard Divinity School. I'm not a fan of Harvard Divinity School and I'm not a, and I'm not a Catholic. But I recognize truth when I hear it. And the Pope was discussing Gnostics in today's environment, today's world. Let's just look at it for a second. Thanks be to God, throughout the history of the church, it has always been clear that a person's perfection is measured not by the information or knowledge they possess, but by the depth of their charity. By the way, that's love. Gnostics do not understand this because they judge others based on their ability to understand the complexity of certain doctrines. Like spiritual Gnostics, these intellectual Gnostics, too, separate body and soul, but differently because they become incapable of touching Christ's suffering flesh and others, locked up as they are in an encyclopedia of abstractions. In the end, by disembodying the mystery, they prefer a God without Christ, a Christ without the church, a church without her people. Now there's some there's elements of truth in here. He's basically saying Gnostics' goal is to demystify the mystery of the relationship between God and the church. And there is mystery. Uh, Christianity is a mystery religion. Gnostics tend to have the answer to all that and to take away the mystery. The minute somebody starts preaching that, mm, I hope your radar goes up because that's a precursor to something really squirrely coming down the road. Um... Gnostics tended to separate, back in John's time, light and dark. Uh, they believed that the flesh was evil, the spirit was good. So anything of the flesh is bad, anything of the spirit is good. And their, as their goal was spiritual purity, they latched on to special knowledge that allowed that to happen. And so they could actually claim that, they're, that they were pure. That there was no sin. And we're going to see something about what John has to say about that. So let's just get started. Let's dive right in to 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. 
We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is a message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Wow. John, go. All right. There's a lot to unpack here, but in essence, not a lot to unpack. He's making a very clear point. He starts off by saying, by establishing what I would call his street creds. He says, look, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, he's using himself. He could say, that which was from the beginning, which I have heard, which I have seen with my eyes, which I have looked at and my hands have touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. Jesus. The life appeared. We've se- I have seen it. I testify to it. He's saying, look, I'm not telling you something I think I know. I'm telling you something I know because I've seen it. I've heard it. I've touched it. So this is the message we heard from him and declare to you. Again, he's saying, I heard this message. With my own ears, I heard this, and I'm declaring it to you. I'm not making something up. I'm passing it on what I heard. God is light. In him, there is no darkness. There's no room for darkness in God. He is light. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. What does it mean to walk in the darkness? Hang on to that thought. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Hmm. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So there, there's walking in darkness. There's walking in the light. What does all that mean? Hang on to that thought. Because, John, you know, I'm a teacher. That's I, I've taught music. I've taught history. I've taught the Bible. I, I generally, I've taught electronics, taught communications. Gosh, there's so many. I, I'm a teacher. That's my, that's my makeup. It's in my DNA. And I don't like to teach stuff that's fun to know. But the goal of my teaching is to teach you something that you can use and do. And the art of teaching is taking something that is that looks on the outset difficult and to make it easy to understand. That's what John is doing here. He set it up. He says, look, I'm not telling you what I think I know. I'm telling you what I know because I've seen it. I've heard it. I've touched it. God is light. In him there's no darkness. If we walk in the light like he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So he's going to tell us what, he's telling us what walking in the light looks like. And he's telling us what walking in the darkness looks like. 
If you're walking in darkness, you're not of God. If you're walking in light, you are. Now, this isn't a workspace thing. This isn't saying, hey, do these things so that you can be in the light. No, he's saying, look, if you are in the light, you're going to walk in the light. And this is what it looks like. So let's see what this looks like. If we walk in the light as he, in the, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from sin. So how do we walk in the light as he is in the light? I suppose an oversimplification would be, what would Jesus do? Right? What would Jesus do? <sighs> Love God. Love your neighbor. I keep coming back to that. And uh, when I was going through the Gospel of John, that seemed to be the thing I hung my hat on the most. Um, there were two great commandments. When Jesus was asked in one of the other Gospels, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, oh, that's easy. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do those and the rest take care of themselves. So how do we love God? Well, I'm going to use the analogy of myself and my wife. How do I love my wife? Here's a way I show my love for my wife. I read my mail. When I was in boot camp, years and years and years ago, and she was my fiance, she would write me letters. And she put a little splash of perfume on these letters. And I would pull these letters out and smell the perfume that my future wife would wear. And I would read those letters again and again and again. I, even though I could probably, even though I probably memorized them, I would still read, pull them out and read them again. Because it was a letter from her and I loved her. So how can you love God? Hey, read your mail from him. Hint, we call it the Bible. Read the Bible. You don't have to be going in doing in-depth uh, study in the original language. Read it. Just read it. There's things in there. And if there's something you don't understand, read, keep going. Read until you find something you do understand. God has a way of speaking to us through the word and there's a cleansing prospect property of the word. As we continue to put the word in us, it just seems to fix things that are going on in our hearts. So read your mail. It's a love letter from God to you. Now, Another thing my wife and I like to do, we've been married over 45 years now. Uh, we'd like to spend Fridays and Saturday nights watching a movie and talking with each other. At the end of a week, we will just sit in our chairs, put on a movie, and watch a movie together and, and talk. Once a month, once or twice a month, we'll go out to eat dinner. And we'll take that opportunity to just put down our phones, turn off the ringers, and talk with each other. And talk for a couple hours. We love to talk to each other. Those, I think, are the highlights of our time together, is the time we spend talking to each other. Well, talk to God. Hint, we call that prayer. It doesn't have to be King James formal. It doesn't have to be uh, fancy talk. It doesn't have to be prescribed places and times. Just talk. I talk to God when every time I drive to church, while I'm going there, whether I'm going there to teach a guitar lesson or whether I'm going there to play in church or go to church, I talk to God on the way to church. I turn the radio off and I just talk to him. Um, I've asked God to help me find keys, my glasses, my wallet. 
I talk to God all the time. So talk to him. That's how you show him you love him. And hang out with his family. You know, my family, both my kids are grown now. They're, they're married and, and they moved out. They're all on their own. They're wildly successful. They're doing a great job. They're raising families. One of the highlights of our years year is getting together in great big family get-togethers, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever. We love getting together as families and just laughing and enjoying each other's company. Well, guess what? You want to show God you love him? Hang out with his family. We call that going to church. But it's not just church in the church building. Church happens throughout the week as you fellowship with each other and you share each other's burdens and you pray for each other and you talk. You're part of a community. Now, one of the interesting things about Gnosticism is that people who are falling into that trap start to draw away from the body of the church. They start to become lone wolves. In fact, that's a very, that's one of the biggest warning signs I see in the friends that I know that have, have gone this direction. They pull away from the body of Christ and they become an entity unto themselves. It's not safe and it's not healthy. Now, so you love God by reading your mail, you talk to him, you hang out with his family. How do you love your neighbor? Well, by serving them. When given the opportunity, meet the need of those in your periphery. As you walk through your day-to-day -day living, when you come across somebody in your path and there's a need you can meet, meet it. It could be as simple as opening a door for a mom with her arms full. It could be as simple as saying hello. It could be a, uh, you could buy a meal. You could give somebody a ride someplace. I mean, what, what if it's within your power, to meet a need. When you love your neighbor, those who are in your periphery, you try to meet that need. Like the Good Samaritan did with the Jewish businessman that got beaten up. It could be someone outside the church. This doesn't just apply. Just You don't just help church people. Your physical neighbors, the lady across the street, she's struggling with her trash can to get it down the road. Hey, go help her. There's lots of things you can do with that. So you love your neighbor. So that's walking in the light. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So John is saying, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, this is what it's going to look like. Because this is how Jesus lived. Love God. Love your neighbor. Walk in the light as he is in the light. So the antithesis of this would be if you see someone who's not walking in the light, they're not going to meet this criteria. In fact, John says in chapter 2, we're going to look at this tomorrow, that apparently there was a group of people that left the Christian community, that departed the Christian community, and John assures them, he said, they weren't of us. If they were really part of us, they would have stayed. But they have shown that they were not of us. Which means that for a while, they appeared to be part of them. They appeared to be part of the body of Christ. 
which is what makes this old Gnostic thing kind of scary because they can look a lot like Christians sometimes. But eventually, over time, somebody who is into Gnosticism, who's going down that path, they will eventually sell, uh, separate. So, that's what John's addressing here in this first chapter. This is what walking in the light looks like. And if you are walking in the light, you'll love God and you'll love your neighbor. Fantastic. All right. This is Mr. G. I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.